Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I'm here again with Inez. How are you doing, Inez? I'm doing well, other than the continued love virus from Canada. I'm starting to revise my neocon roots. I'm going to uh, invade Canada, I think. Over. <laughs> this is just getting, it's very obnoxious. It's like uh, every day now is bad air quality. They're doing the, the still, it's still going on. I thought that the, the news just got sick of it, but it's still, it's still happening. It hasn't improved. Well, it, I mean, it's not as bad as it was. Uh, it's not as bad as like the initial few days where it looked apocalyptic everywhere and it was awful, but it, it's just continually, there is stuff in the air. There's pollutants in the air that are coming down. The wildfires are still burning. They still haven't done much to change their management of the forest going forward. So I really hope this is not going to be something that we deal with every summer because it really, it's hard to be outside. It's um, anyway, it sucks, but let's move on from that. Mm, that does suck. Well, yeah, I mean, in California, I heard that the smog used to be really bad out here 10, you know, like 15, maybe 20 years ago, and it's gotten better. I've never noticed an air quality uh, issue. Uh, so yeah, that's all I know about. That's all I know about air. <laughs> I know it was like California has <laughs> good governance. Yeah. That's why that's Cal- like California has the same uh, problem in the sense that there are huge and raging wildfires. Um, and of course, the left calls that climate change, and I would call it the total inability to manage the forest, even to the level that uh, the Native Americans in California did before. <laughs> uh, everybody it understood. Both, right? it could be both, right? Yeah, I mean. Sure, but the ma- the major problem is is the management of the forest. I mean, if you talk to anybody um, in forest management or or in firefighting, uh, it's just it's, there's some very basic problems. Some of them having to do with environmentalism and not wanting to harm Mother Gaia or whatever. Uh, they don't do as many controlled burns as they used to. The other the other problem in California is simply that the sprawl is exceeding out into right areas that are naturally have a lot of like burns that run through. So the fires are more devastating because more people lose their homes because they're you know, building in a, in the same way sort of New Orleans can expect to be flooded uh, in, in a big one every 20, 30, 50 years. Um, it, you know, in California, there are going to be wildfires, but they're, they're being made worse by non-management. Um, a lot of it's federal land too. So there's plenty of blame to go around. Anyway, all these are Western concerns. Yeah. Is it, uh, isn't there a policy angle here? Cause I, uh, I don't know about the fire insurance, but I know that the federal government either requires insurance coverage for like, uh, things in the Gulf, in the Gulf, or they, uh, or they just insure it themselves, right? The, I remember, I remember during Hurricane Katrina, this was a big problem that the federal government would insure this stuff. I'm sure they, they must, they must do something similar for the fires. So it's just like we're building, we build and we maintain land and like just areas where people shouldn't live. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, there is that that sort of perspective that oh, we should only live in certain places and not, you know, I I love Las Vegas, for example. I think it's a monument to American audacity uh, to put put something that requires that much energy and water, just put it right in the middle of the desert. Um, so I, I think there's a certain man conquers nature element here, but uh, it's also true that a lot of these states are not managing their resources well. California has a huge water problem, as I'm sure anyone in California for the last 30 to 30 years knows that, um, you know, there, there, there have been droughts. So that was, that's part of it. But the other part of it is the state is completely unable to maintain a reservoir system in part because they have so many environmental regulations and, and quote unquote friendly lawsuits, right. From environmental groups that it becomes very, very difficult to build anything. 
Um, and then they also, for the same reason, they don't, they don't manage the forest. They don't do control burns. They don't do some of the things, uh, that were done for the previous hundred years. And like I said, even going back well before the state was a state, right? It's just sort of really basic, uh, stuff. If, if you talk to some of the folks in the, in the forest management industry or, or in, in fire, part of it was getting rid of the lumber industry because the lumber industry was doing it for California for a long time because they were chopping down a lot of the trees, um, and they were doing it for profit, but the state benefited because there were fewer forest fires. But yeah, we, um, I don't know. We, we always think about going backwards in time that it would be more natural, right? Uh, that there would be more trees or whatever, but that's not the case in a lot of places. There, there, a lot of America looked much less forested than it, than it is right now. Have you read Charles Mann's uh, 1491? No. Highly recommend it. It's it's a it's about uh, basically yeah the continent and what it looked like before 1492 before Columbus came uh, to the Western Hemisphere. Um, and yeah, that's one of the points he makes. Talks about the management of of nature, and then he has a follow up book called 1493, uh, which is the direct impact of uh, European colonization. So, two of the best books I've read in many many years. I would recommend you and everyone else. Uh, Read them. Yeah, I like man conquering nature too. I think Las Vegas, I think Las Vegas would exist, uh, you know, as long as the market could support it, right? I'm pretty sure the market could support Las Vegas, right? Uh, it's just these, <laughs> these other, some of these other things, like, you know, these communities in, you know, New Orleans or, you know, in the, in the mountains of California where humans just shouldn't be without government support. If they can pay for it, fine. But it's, you know, they're, they're sort of, a lot of people are just offloading the risk, uh, onto everyone else. Um, one thing that's on my mind, I want to ask you about this because it's just something that happened to me, but I, you know, there, I think there's like an angle about like, you know, sort of, uh, where our culture is going. Uh, so I just got some money from, uh, Twitter. Um, they are giving you a cut of your ad revenue. Um, I got, uh, I saw that this Brian Krasenstein guy got 25 grand. Um, I saw this, um, Ashley St. Clair woman get like seven or eight grand and I wasn't as big as them. I got 1700. Uh, they just send me like a pop-up. So, I mean, this is like, you know, it's like, it's like so cool. Like just have money out of nowhere. Like that's just like, you know, I, I just, uh, you know, it's like when you're not expecting it, just a company gives you money. It's really, really cool. It's like better than, than earning it. <laughs> uh, gonna have some competition with threads already. Uh, he's got to keep the yeah, money-making no, creators on the website. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. But yeah, that's gotta be, I mean, they've gotta be giving it to a, a lot of people. Or maybe they're picking their favorites. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not that huge of an account, but I mean, I must have just, I just think I just had a really good month. So maybe it's not about how big your account is, just like the last month, how many uh, impressions you've got. Um, yeah, I think I'm just under the cutoff. I was looking at, I've, I've basically never, I had to find the analytics tab. I've never looked at it, um, but it looks like I'm just under the, they cut off on most of months. I have like 4.8 or 4.9 million views. What, you, what, what, what are you supposed five, to have? Five what is million. That, what is oh, you have to have 5 million in, uh, yeah, in the last over a month? several months or something like that. Um, and it's consistent. Oh, like really? you have to make it over some hump. I'm just below it. Of course. I'm like, then it's just out of the yeah. money here. I mean, it, it'll create some interesting incentives. Um, there's definitely an incentive to create engagement. So I think it's, it's also tied to replies, right? So there's yeah. definitely an incentive even more than there already was to just uh, give hot takes that are going to make people really mad. Yeah. Let me see if I can find my, uh, anal my uh, analytics. Where's that under? That's under. Oh, it took me a while to find. It's like under professional tab. Per some, I got professional tools. I can't, uh, yeah. It's under professional tools. And then uh, there's something 
called analytics under it, I think. I, I clicked around in the tabs for a while. I, well, I found it. it's under creators. Okay. For me, it's under creator studio. Oh, that's so probably last, right. I don't know. I clicked oh, around. Well, the last month I had 41.8 million. Impressions. Oh, wow. So, yeah. yeah I, I, <laughs> I, busted through, I busted through that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then last month, it doesn't have, la- oh, 48.2 yeah. million. So basically yeah, the same Yeah, you can go backwards. Yeah. Yeah, 52 points. Okay, so it's 5 million over like a month. Is that what it's supposed to be? Yeah. Hmm. Okay, yeah, so I did I did do that. That's pretty awesome. Um and so that is cool. Um and you're right. It, like I've Yeah, I mean there already is the incentive to sort of, you know, there is an incentive already to uh maximize your follower count. And this is just becoming like more and more direct, right? Like we're going to give you money directly uh for, you know, whatever the tweets that go viral. Um, and I wonder, I mean, I wonder what, what this is sort of going to, what is this sort of going to do? Right. I mean, there's a, it's like, it's, it seems like it's just going to be Twitter on steroids. I mean, I think people who want to maximize engagement already get a maximize engagement, but I think you could see it as like more of like a business model. For now, I don't think it's like a great, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not hard. Like if you're, you're as big as Crescentstein is one of like the biggest, you get 25 grand, you know, a month. Right. So a lot, it's not like anyone can just go up there and start making thousands of dollars, but you know, I do wonder sort of what it, what this is going to do with, with Twitter. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, like I, I've never, I, I, I've always used it much more as genuine social media, I guess. Um, and that I, I like the people that I meet on there. You read some interesting stuff. You learn some interesting stuff. People recommend things to you. You follow people with a particular expertise. Um, and then you have repeated interactions, which actually is in terms of a societal level, uh, people complain a lot about Twitter. I think things like TikTok are much worse, not only because the algorithm is more addictive, but because there are no repeated interactions. It's, it is much more like watching television. It's like super, super targeted television, which is very passive, whereas Twitter actually seems to me to be a pretty good social media app where you do have repeated interactions with people. You get to know them, whether by their real names or not, but you get to know them. Um, I mean, I know I've made a lot of real life friends off of Twitter. Um, I know some people who have found significant others on Twitter. Like, I, I think Twitter actually is genuinely social in a way that um, like TikTok is not. It's very passive, right? It's It's content creation. So to the extent that Twitter becomes content creation, I think that would be bad. But I mean, people already, like you said, people already have incentives to to try to do it. I just haven't really ever used the app that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, tr- you know, I try to, you know, I have books and I have a sub stack. So I want to, I do like consciously try to grow my follower count, right? Like I do do that. I don't like make stuff up or like, you know, just do it at any cost or say dishonest things. Uh, so, but you know, I do want more people following me. And it's like pretty obvious, like the kind of thing it's usually, you know, yeah, it's usually pretty like, you know, there is a formula, like people love, people love race statistics. People love crime stories. Uh, people love criticisms of the media. It's really, you can really play the hits and it's a sort of, <laughs> you know, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty obvious what's, what's going to get. Uh, you don't have a bit, like, I want to know what are your left wing hits? Like what, what gets you a lot of engagement because you, you have oh, views on not, both sides. Nothing. So. Almost, almost, almost. I mean, I get very, the left wing don't get me any benefit. They get a lot of hate uh, engagement. Um, I think I'm too much on the right. Um, 
you know, so, I mean, sometimes the things do good. Like I had a one making fun of the uh, Arizona Republican Party. They ran out of money because uh, they were uh, def- they were like suing to overturn the 2020 election. Maybe they weren't suing. They were paying election consultants. So like now the Arizona Republican Party is uh, broke. And like Megan McCain retweeted that and like David Frum um, and like a few other people. So like, I mean, I don't, that's not even left wing. That's like, you know, center right, never, never Trumpers. Uh, but no, it's too, you're, you're in a box. Like I am, I am right coded. Like I'm not going to go that viral on left wing Twitter, almost no matter what I say. Interesting. I don't know. I just never thought about it. Honestly, I'm not like trying to be a jerk and say like, oh, I, I don't care. I just, I've always used it as a more social thing um and so i haven't ever sort of kept track of any of this or or whatever i just i'm my primary use of twitter is definitely i I just think there there's a lot of really interesting stuff being published on twitter so i I guess i use it more the way that people did use substack which i or do use substack um because i'm not as much of a substack person i don't have one i don't like I, I read, obviously, I follow a certain number of people on Substack and I read stuff from Substack, but I get a lot of content from Twitter in terms of stuff that I haven't read before. Or um, I often find it more interesting than what's sort of curated, I guess, by any of the major news sites, even those on the right. Um, I, I find it more interesting. My Twitter feed is a curation of thoughts and links to articles from people that I whose thought I find are way of thinking I find interesting and then a place to engage with those people and actually start a conversation be like, well, that's a really interesting point you've made, but like, here's the counterpoint and like have a, have an actual discussion, which I know that people say that Twitter is not, you can't have a real discussion on Twitter. That just hasn't been my experience. I just, I, I try to reply. I reply to a lot of people. I reply to people in my comments all the time. The only thing I ever do is mute people. If like, you know, there's always somebody who just thinks that, um, it's really funny to reply to the same, like the same stuff to every tweet that I get bored of that. And I mute people. I don't care if you say bad stuff about me. I just don't want to hear that. Like it gets very boring. If you have the same like formula for every single tweet that has nothing to do with what I actually said, then I get bored and I mute. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I use it in that, in that normal way too. Actually. I mean, I don't like like the, like the influencer tweets. Like I, I, I like, I, so I like actually like I mute a lot of people. Um, that, you know, just are not, not worth it who keep popping up in my feed. Um, and then I do, I used to respond more. I don't know. As long as I've gotten sort of bigger, it's been more like, uh, more like trash relative to like when I was a really small account, like it, you had to be like sort of smart to, uh, to have found me. It was just like academics or like people who like had written, written like who would read like, uh, uh, you know, some serious pieces I've, I've written. Um, and so like everyone who followed me was smart, but like, there's some, I mean, this is the downside of actually trying to fill your engagement. You end up hating your followers because they're all, you know, they're all, they're all sort of stupid. They just found you because of some, uh, uh, viral tweet. Uh, so you're, you're, so yeah, in my, in my feed, I am like following the people who are smart, who have the insights. Yeah. It's a great, I mean, it's great, great curation, um, for, uh, uh, you know, for whatever you're interested in. Um, I have like a few, like a handful on like the, you know, Russia, Ukraine specialists. I have some people on, uh, you know, some economists, some, you know, different kinds of things like political, you know, horse race kind of coverage that I like. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great tool. I mean, it's a great tool. Um, I am not negative. I am not negative on, on Twitter anyway, and meeting people too, like people 
we'll reach out to me. Like it's the easiest way. Like if I, if I know if I want to get in touch with someone or someone wants to get in touch with me, like Twitter is better than like email. It, it just usually is. I'm usually going to see it faster and I'm usually going to respond uh, quicker. It's like, a, it's like a great DM system too. Yeah, no, completely. Um, I, that, that's what's so bad about getting suspended. Honestly, is I hate it when the people that I'm in DMS with get suspended. Um, but I, for some reason, I've never been suspended. I, I maybe once I can't recall for what, but I say very similar things. And for some reason, like I just don't, I don't get suspended. Uh, I guess I, I was on the, I have gotten, um, what do you call it? Like ratcheted down. Like I've definitely gotten shadow banned and uh, before Elon Musk took over for sure. Um, you couldn't find me if you put in my name and it wouldn't pop up and all those various tricks, but uh, I've never actually been booted off you know uh, well, one of the accounts that got suspended recently though like you ever seen a radical feminist hitler mm-hmm. yeah she's suspended it's really unfortunate i, I really i really she's funny that. she's funny yeah. i mean I, I i disagree with obviously like a lot of the stuff that she tweets but i just she's very yeah. funny and that's well, I, well, yeah, I like it. people who are original. I don't like this, you know, the people who are just like, you know, they, you could like, okay, there's like dissident, right. There's like the trad, like, you know, like everyone is like sort of in this category. I like people who, you know, combine feminism and Hitler. Like I like, like bringing these like things together that usually don't go together. Yeah. But you could find an account like that. It could be fun. Yeah. I think my, my feed is a lot of people of that type, plus a lot of like serious people. So I, I really enjoy it. I also actually, it serves the same function. I used to really like reading the comments. I'm, you know, everybody always tells you don't read the comments. Um, everyone in sort of DC world or whatever tells you don't read the comments. I like reading the comments. I think um, on most articles, the comments, like, yes, of course, you have the six people with the alternating between the one and the uh, exclamation point, right? Um, but actually, I think there are some really great comments and you do get input from people who are outside of your circles i think twitter's the same way i really like that so actually ha- i think more than half the people i follow um are just ordinary people in a bunch of different walks of life that i've who have replied to me at one point and i had a conversation with and i found them thoughtful and interesting um and i, I think that's like I, I am very like democratic i guess i like i use twitter in a very democratic no, you're, you're sort of free. way yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking it as your experience is like so uh so nice. Like why Mike it seems like you're just like the comments and like uh, my experience is it's all over the place. I mean it really you know, there's some people who, you know, are are great and then a lot of people who are just idiots who are just aggressive, who are just stupid. But yeah, what are you gonna do? I mean <laughs> might, I get those might, too, but I just ignore it. I really it doesn't bother me. I, I think uh, actually I tweeted this, my only superpower is not caring. I genuinely don't care. Uh, people that I've never met or like, I, 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 you know, they don't know anything about me. What do they know about me? They, they, they misinterpreted some one thing that I said. I mean, who cares what their opinion is? Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I mean, I don't, you know, maybe, maybe you're even more calm than me, but yeah, I think I'm like more, you know, uh, more, you know, uninterested in the people, the people's like attacks than, than others. Like I saw this, uh, there's this guy named Tim Ferriss. I don't know who he is. Is he like some, he's famous for, or what is, what is he? Do you know what Tim Ferriss is? Uh, he's, he's like really famous. Let me see. Tim Ferriss is an American entrepreneur. Okay. Anyways, he had there this article, uh, you know, things that suck about being famous or something like that. And he's like, Oh, you know, I get a death threat once a month. I'm like, once a month. (laughs) 
<laughs> this guy thinks that's worth mentioning. That's like, you know, what's a month would be like, you know, the, the, you know, the, I'm on vacation, you know, that would, that would be something like that. Uh, so yeah, I mean, people can have different sort of levels of, uh, what they could tolerate. This is not for, uh, it's not for everybody. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I, I know that I, I don't know why this is not like sort of bravado on my part, bravado on my part. I, I don't, it just really doesn't touch me much. Um, the only things that touch me are actually the, to the positive where, you know, I actually meet people or I have an interesting conversation with somebody that I never would have had the chance to talk to. I mean, you just would never, um, you know, be able to talk about something political or, or substantive with random people that you meet in a coffee shop, really. Cause I mean, how many of us are having those kinds of conversations with people that we, you know, have never met or don't know or aren't friends of ours or whatever. So I, I just find it a, a really useful way to talk to people. Um, but yeah, I guess I, I know this all sounds very corny and um, earnest, but it's, it's really true. I just, I think it's, I think it's a great place to talk to people and, to meet people that you never would otherwise. And some of them actually become your friends. Yeah. Yeah. They become my friends too. Yeah. Yeah. We, we agree. We're, we're both, I mean, we're both have positive attitudes for Twitter. If you're, if you're using Twitter and I'd have an even overall, more positive attitude if they were giving me a check for what I was already doing, that'd be great. Uh, but no, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, after post. Yeah, you gotta I have to, I have to, I have to be meaner. I have to, maybe I need to tweet more do? about people really didn't like that. I, I didn't like sound of freedom very much. People did not like that. So maybe I should just tweet how much I don't like that over and over again. And then, uh, then I'll get some money. Did they call, did they call you a pedophile? <laughs> oh yeah, totally. A Zionist pedophile. Cause that's the oh, connection. <laughs> yeah. See, I find that stuff funny. Like it doesn't bother me. I don't care. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. You know yourself. Yeah. That's good. The, um, uh, yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's a, yeah that is that is my sound of sound of sound of freedom yeah i want to i do want to see that they really do get a, they, the grooming thing and the and the uh the, i was uh, i just clicked some daily caller article the other day it was like i don't know it was like a film or something just the ad popped up groomers grooming it's like it's become sort of this you know crazy it's like the right is having this like satanic panic of the 1980s but it's like just on the right it's like you know they're, they're having their own thing where like the rest of society is not sort of joining I, okay so I, that wasn't my critique of the movie i mean i think there are good reasons to worry i mean I've, I've always been of the opinion that the grooming going on is actually not to groom children for pedophiles so much that's like sort of an incidental aspect when you have this this um cultural you have a cultural standard that allows adults to talk to children about sexual topics it's going to heart it's going to be easier um, for people who actually have that kind of sick intention with children. But I think the real grooming going on here is to make children activists, right? I mean, it, it is adults who want their own worldview and a lot of the lies they've told themselves to be reflected backwards up to them by children who don't know any better and, and you know, to whom the, the categories male and female are still abstract or whatever. But that wasn't my problem with the movie. I just thought it wasn't very good. Like, but the, that's not the what script those was wooden. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the script, it's, it's connected. But anyway, no, I mean, look, it's a very, the movie's about a really a real phenomenon, right? Um, it's a real thing, what there, it's a true story. Um, I just thought it was bad. Like the script was wooden and the characters are wooden and they have that thing where they wouldn't allow, they don't allow flaws or conflict in the characters. It's that very right wing. Um, Andrew Clavin has this great way of talking about it where he says, um, that the right is too concerned with creating role models 
instead of telling a realistic and true story. There's no conflict, for example, between this guy going halfway around the world and abandoning his own large family, right, um, to do some really, really dangerous things for, you know, the child of someone he's never met, a child he's never met. That's very heroic on the one hand, but, you know, doesn't even show, he doesn't hesitate for a moment. He doesn't think, well, what are my six children or whatever going to do without me, right? If if I die in this Columbia hellhole, like what, what are my wife and children going to do without me? This just is completely lack of conflict. And it makes it very unrealistic. And very, it's almost like a superhero movie. You know, I don't know. I just, I think it's too serious a subject yeah. to treat with that kind yeah. of superficiality. Well, I haven't, I, yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen it. So I, yeah, I can't. Yeah, so I'm just curious what you think. I just, I, I, everyone else seems to love it. I seem to be very much in the minority in this, but I, I just thought it was very wooden and, um, anyway, I should just probably tweet that 65 times so that I get my paycheck. Yeah. No, you have to, no, people have to, for followers, you'll go viral, but for followers, they have to like what you're saying. That's the thing. You can, you can get a lot of engagement. Oh, well, we'll go get yeah, the check. Actually, it won't you won't get followers because you'll get engagement. That, 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 yeah, that's true. Um, no, yeah. I, Where are you going to watch do that to be clear? <laughs> I don't get, a, I don't, I can't, you know, I have a family. It's hard to get to the movies often, but I do want to find a way to see the, the Barbie film. I saw the, um, That's I wasn't what bad you at the want to see out of all of the things that are coming out. I, I, I want to see Oppenheimer too, but I saw the, um, I saw the, uh, trailer for Barbie with like Ken and I, I just think it's, I, it just seems fascinating to me. Um, and I like, I like, uh, I like the actress, uh, uh, too, who plays Barbie too. So. Are you gonna? Are well, you gonna try to see online movie? now? That's controversial, know, you know, to say that Margot Robbie it, yeah. is hot. Of course, yeah. She's hot. The trans the trans cells are are very yeah. They they don't like her. Uh, so who do they like? By the way, never mind. These these people aren't worth paying attention to. But are you are you gonna try to see the Barbie movie? I only if I see like a double header with Oppenheimer. <laughs> okay, you watch Oppenheimer. I'll watch Barbie, and hopefully, um, I'll watch Oppenheimer. I do want to watch Oppenheimer too. I, I, uh, um, Oppenheimer, and then there's the the Napoleon trailer looked really good. Oh yeah, that's but that's I looked I, I saw that that's that's a long time for that's not coming out till November, so we have like, oh. a very long time. Well, I just saw the trailer and decided I was yeah, like finally awesome. a movie that I'd like to see. Yeah, it does look very uh, no, really I, cool. For what it's worth, I was excited to see Sound of Freedom. I was like. Oh, we're making an impact on the culture. It's an important issue. I'm going to go see it. I was going to buy more tickets for it. And then I saw it. I was just really disappointed. <laughs> okay. Well, anyways, um, uh, changing topics. You have a, uh, you have a, a report coming, a white paper coming out on the student loan issue, right? Um, when is this coming out? This is coming out next week, but which, do you know, like which day is it going to be early? Yeah. And no, I don't know yet which day, but it'll come out sometime next week. Um, it's something called policy focus, uh, we call backgrounders that independent women's form. Um, but I, I think it's really critical that the right actually has a proposal um, to deal with student loan debt. And uh, I guess here I'll lay out what I think was wrong with the right and the way that they think about it um, of the whole issue. And then I'll say why I think this is the solution and actually serves the right a lot better than what we're currently doing. Um, so first, the, the first solution or the first way that the right talks about this is just to deny that there's a problem with student loan debt. Um, a lot of this I think is very like old economy Steve kind of stuff, right? It's people who went to school 20 or 30 years ago and remember working part-time to, to pay off and, and just, just not the reality anymore that the cost of university has, depending whether you go to public or private, uh, has either doubled or tripled. Um, and that's just, it's, it's well past what your typical 18 year old could ever hope to, to actually have his, um, 
you know, his labor valued at, uh, it, it, just the cost of college has completely exploded. And there are all kinds of reasons for that. Um, but so that one is just like sort of out of touch. And I, I really don't think that that's, I don't think you, you get when, when you deny the problems that people are facing that are right in front of their face, you're just never going to get anywhere. Um, you know, all you're going to do is burn your own credibility. And then the other thing is this, this like personal responsibility narrative, which I mean, look on the face of it is true. Um, you do, you're 18 years old, you're an adult, you've signed a loan, um, given to you by the government. I just, I just think it's a little bit unrealistic to expect 18 year olds, um, to have better financial judgment than the message coming from their parents overwhelmingly and the message coming from the U S Congress, um, and all of the incentives that are in place. I mean, essentially what it is is you get bombarded from all sides. If you are successful, if you graduate from high school, um, you, you, even if you are not academically prepared for college, there's this enormous incentive now because every kid comes with a government back loan, the colleges get their money up front. So they have an incentive, especially on the lower part of the ranking to really admit a lot of totally academically unprepared students. Um, a lot of them, 40% of college students, freshmen, they don't graduate even in six years. So not forget about the four-year graduation rate. The six-year graduation rate is 60%. So you have a lot of people who end up with debt and no degree, which is truly the worst of all worlds. The number of jobs that are available to people with high school degrees, that job market is shrinking. Um, and the same jobs, we, we have so heavily subsidized the college track that the same jobs that 20 or 30 years ago would not have required a college degree and haven't like changed. It's not like the job has changed. Um, it's just that we have created such a glut of people with degrees that everybody can use it as this kind of threshold mechanism. And so if you take into account all of the policy choices that we've made and all of the cultural pressure to go to university, I think it's a little naive to say, oh, like this kid signed on the dotted line. Um, that was considered a responsible thing to do when he did it. It wasn't like a you know, it wasn't considered uh, an outlandish thing to do. It was considered the right thing to do uh, for an entire generation and a half. And now we're seeing the results of that. Um, so all of that is why I just, I, I think, I think it's a, it's a really powerful issue for the left. And we saw that. Um, we saw that in the, in the midterms. We had young people turn out in the midterms, basically based on Joe Biden's forgiveness plan. Of course, it's totally cynical on his part. Um, he's going to, his administration is going to try to go around the Supreme court case. They're going to find a different alternative legal basis for forgiveness. Um, but this, this is a really, it's a real issue. It's going to keep clobbering the right over and over again, um, until we do something about it. And my proposal that's coming out is, uh, basically lays out some of the facts about why and why the current forgiveness and why Joe Biden's ideas about forgiveness are unfair and regressive and really do take from people who are already struggling and give to the children of the upper middle class, which is extremely unfair in my view. Um, but I think there's an obvious villain in all of this and that's the universities. And I think they're a villain for a variety of, of reasons, but even within this sort of financial picture, they've made an enormous amount of money. Um, a lot of it is not a free market. It's a, you know, it's a taxpayer, uh, heavily taxpayer subsidized system. There are a lot of universities in this country whose lifeblood is the government backed student loan um, I, if we are going to do some kind of limited forgiveness plan, I think it should come from the university sector. And I think we should open them up to taxation on a number of levels. And I have a few proposals of how to do that. Um, but I, I think basically that the right answer to this should be, yeah, uh, this is a problem. It's a problem that has been in part created, uh, both by the government and by universities themselves. 
universities have been the biggest beneficiary of the system as, as it's been for the last 30 to 50 years. Uh, and I think it's time that they pay their fair share. Yeah. So a couple things like when you say, oh, you know, there was uh, you know, we say personal responsibility, but like every, you know, it's not realistic because everyone was telling them uh, they should go to college and that's the thing to do. Like, yeah, that makes sense. But I, you know, I worry that once we go down that road, I mean, this is what leftists say about everything, right? Oh, somebody took out a, you know, a loan for a house. Well, it's good to have a home. You know, society did, uh, you know, we do have, um, you know, tax credits and things like that. Um, oh, you can't be responsible for your mortgage. Oh, you know, people are, you know, whatever. It, it seems like it could, it's an argument that could almost work for anything. Um, and that's a concern at this, you know, at the same time, I, you know, I like, I, you know, I think I, I do, I'm not opposed to your idea. I mean, I think it's better than the alternative, which is the Biden plan to stick it to the, um, uh, to just stick it to the, uh, uh, taxpayer, um, hurting the universities, I think, and, you know, holding them responsible and knowing they've gotten wealthy over this and just, just hitting them for being, you know, so terrible. I mean, I think it's not a, is not a bad thing, uh, either. Um, so yeah, I mean, like this would be, it'd be, you know, an interesting, it would be inter- an interesting political debate to watch, right? Because if let's say the Republicans listen to you, what's the name of your report? Yeah, does it have a title? Oh, it doesn't have a title yet, but it'll probably be something like taxing universities for, to pay for loan forgiveness, yeah. something very yeah, direct. But yeah. uh, I think there is some interest in this on the right. Uh, I, I've talked to some people on the Hill, um, who are looking for these kinds of proposals, but the cultural piece that you described is, I think, the smallest part of it. Um, we have made some very, very real policy decisions. We've decided to put all of our incentives towards getting a, a four-year degree. And I mean, Obama said back in his term, he said, uh, by 2020, we want to have 100% uh, of American kids going to college. Okay, we're just going to make college an they extension, really? right? Yeah. Mm. Uh, every American kid goes to college. Uh, I, I mean, this, this idea started all the way back with the, the LBJ administration. It's when student loans really became, uh, you know, a, a part of the federal budget that was significant as opposed to before there was just the GI bill, right? The idea that we're going to expand the GI bill basically to all of America. Um, look, uh, we are already responsible for these loans. 92% of them are held by the Department of Education. Yeah, you, you sent me a New York Times article detailing how these loans are likely going to go into default. Before the pandemic, uh, it was about a 40% prediction default rate by 2023. Now, everything's on hold, um, so we don't know what's going to happen. But I imagine when payments resume, which which uh, will be sometime in, I think, October 1, uh, we'll see if that actually happens. But as of now, the depart the um, administration is saying October one. Uh, when those loans start to resume and the payments start to resume, I think you're going to see a high default rate. Um, we already on the hook for that. So if we do nothing, the taxpayer will bail out these loans because that's I mean that's that's that, that's financial picture. What's really sick about all of this, by the way, is these are one of the reasons it's hard to do anything about student loans uh, politically is not anything to do with how many people hold them and all that. That's all creating a political picture. But the reason it's really hard to do anything with regard to student loans, including, for example, something like lowering the interest rate, which is quite high, um, is because these loans are one of the few pieces of the federal budget that are, quote unquote, making money, 
right? So on a spreadsheet, it's in the black. We know these loans are going to default, but in this, in the federal budget, when they get scored, they get scored in the black. And so that is paying for parts of Obamacare. It's paying for parts of like a bunch of other things that people want to spend money on in the federal budget. And so it's like all this imaginary monopoly money that there's a lot of, of different senators and congressmen who have their, you know, projects that are tied to this line item in the budget that have nothing to do with student loans. So it becomes very, very difficult to deal with the actual reality that these loans, the value of a college degree is not enough now on average to actually like buttress the amount of money that universities are charging for it because there's no mechanism to keep those things in check. There's no free market mechanism because these are loans backed by the federal government. And you can understand why if you go in to Wells Fargo and you say, I want to study, you know, whatever useless, I always use underwater basket weaving, but I'm sure you can fill in whatever you'd like. Um, but I want to study this and I want $120,000 to do that. The bank is going to look at whether or not you can pay that back. The federal government won't. The federal government is just like, oh yeah, here, just sign on this line. Like, you know, fill out this form, sign on this line. Um, here's all the access that you have to these different loans. And we would call that, I think that's predatory, frankly. Um, I think that it's, it's, it's the sort of, uh, shape of a lot of the things that we have, which is this two part public private thing where there's this public program and certain public priorities. Uh, and then there's people making a huge amount of money off of it in the private sector. Uh, and they don't have the responsibility. Like <laughs> we're not defaulting to banks. You're going to default to the, the taxpayer. Like it's the taxpayer's money that's on the hook here. Um, since these loans are essentially nationalized and before they were nationalized, they were more like Fannie and Freddie, right? So we had some, some private, uh, sort of some, some of these loans were held privately, but they were backed by guarantees by the federal government in a variety of ways under the Obama administration, they were brought in house. So largely department of education bought up all these loans. Um, and now it's, I think it's like something like 8% of loans that are held outside of the department of education. So overwhelmingly, these are already a public program. So anyway, I think the universities here are the bad guys. They've made an enormous amount of money. More than that, they've really replaced, and this is something you know a lot better than me, and maybe you can jump in here, but um, they've really, because of a, a sort of one-two combination of the professionalization of a service economy, and that's sort of the natural piece of this, but then uh, if you add in alongside that, you're not allowed as an employer to screen your employees in all kinds of what might be cheaper or more natural ways because of this Supreme Court decision, Griggs, and then potentially changes to, to civil rights law, right? Um, that anything that produces a disparate impact like a test is potentially suspect under the EEOC and employers are afraid of administering those kinds of tests and so on and so forth. So instead, what we've done is we've made it a requirement to get into like the middle class for, for people to take out $100,000 in loans and then not compensate them enough you to say, make that make you say sense. We, we, you say we did that, but the universities didn't uh, create civil rights law, right? Um, and then the uh, and then the um, a lot of the actually a lot of the people who defend universities will say that a lot of the a lot of the administrative bloat. I don't know how much this is true or how much they're exaggerating. Comes from uh, government regulation. So, like Title IX, for example, they had to under the Obama administration they had to hire all these new people. Um, so that sounds like another. Those put those things together. It sounds like the the problem may be universities. It may just be the federal government. Who's the government? Well, the taxpayer. It's us. You get around to 
you know, bail them cool. out and put it on the taxpayer, right? Could you get there? Um, look, the idea that universities have nothing to do with this, I find really ludicrous. It is, yes, it's, it's a public-private. There are two pieces of this, right? And yes, some of this is compliance and so on. But fundamentally, they're the only sector, um, or at least one of very small number of sectors, that has their product completely subsidized and underwritten by the federal government, okay? So the idea that they now get to say, like, well, oh, well, this is a free market. We didn't have anything to do with this. Their, their business model is dependent on federally backed student loans. If those loans disappear, this would be my preferred solution, which we have been trying to do for decades, and it's not happening, right? Which is to draw down student loans, to, to reassert the market, um, that market value of a degree to force people to actually go to a private bank that's going to evaluate whether or not the likelihood of you paying back the loan. But, but it's very difficult to evaluate a loan like that, right? Like there's nothing to repo. So unlike a mortgage, right? You, you can't declare bankruptcy um, because there's nothing to repo and there's no backing other than the person themselves and what they do with their degree. Um, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's an unusual situation, but universities be, are dependent your, on these okay. programs. They're completely dependent. That's how they do it. SAT and GPA. I mean, they they would they, the market would price it in, right? If you look, seem like a smart kid, they would probably give you a loan. And if you don't seem it like depends a smart what kid, you're they, studying too, right? They wouldn't like yeah, that yeah. because this funds all of those you know departments that are. I I don't even want to say the DEI departments now because actually it's gotten to such a degree where you can make enormous amounts of money. There's a billion dollar industry and in this sort of diversity training and all of this stuff, right? So the ideological compliance is actually quite lucrative now. So it's not even a good example of a degree, but yes, um, a, a private institution will look at what you're studying, what your likelihood of, of finishing the degree is based on whatever information you can give them, whether that's SAT, GPA, anything else, right? They're going to look at those factors. The federal government won't look at those factors. It's also why we have many more universities, vis-a-vis, -vis, for example, a lot of European countries, right? you either have to have this, this is one of the, there are plenty of American systems like this to me that have this kind of half and half, half public, half private model. And oftentimes what it means are the costs are socialized onto the taxpayer and the profits are, are out in the, in the private sector, right? And, and in university's case, that's covered over by the fact that they're quote unquote nonprofit or a lot of them are, but you know that that's ridiculous, right? You have a lot of people making millions of dollars. Yale and Harvard ha are some of the biggest hedge funds in America with universities attached to them. And yet it's all under this umbrella of called being nonprofit. And then let's, let's go to, I mean, they essentially, there are only two real bases that they have to this kind of public largesse that they've enjoyed for decades and decades. They have, they made two basic claims. One is that they were going to add to the GDP, which is still true. Um, it's still true that they add to the GDP, uh, that, that if you have a degree, you're, you have a higher salary than if you don't over the course of your lifetime. Um, but those, those, uh, benefits are, are starting to level out. They've been leveling out for the last like couple decades. Okay. So you're not getting the same bump, relatively speaking, as you were if you went to college in the seventies or eighties. Um, and then, on the other piece, they were supposed to be making us wiser citizens, right? There's some sort of like inherent value to education. Well, I believe in the inherent value of the classics. I believe in the inherent value of a liberal education, but that's not what universities are offering now. And everybody knows it. So I, I don't see by what, by what, on what basis are they going to demand from the taxpayer in Ohio who doesn't have a degree like the majority of Americans? Not only are you going to subsidize Harvard and Yale, but now you're going to pay to bail out 
the people who did go to university. I mean, it's such a, it's such an unfair proposition. And by the way, those graduates are going to come back into the corporate plant that's in your town and they're going to run the diversity program that tells you you're a racist. Like that, that's the deal that Americans are getting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to me, like, I don't know, like, you could, you can, I can see it, I can see your argument for, uh, uh, the kids, you know, themselves, right? Like, you know, what do we do with the, uh, with the debtors themselves? <clears throat> to me, I mean, the most important thing is just to get the incentives, the incentives, right? Like the, what's so disastrous about the Biden, what Biden was trying to do and what he wants to do now. Um, he's trying to do it through different means after the Supreme Court, uh, struck down his last, uh, uh, loan forgiveness plan is basically, it's just, it's just forgiveness. I mean, the system continues exactly the same way it was before. There's even, it probably gets worse because the universities know there's like an implicit, you know, uh, system where they get a bailout. There's no market correction at all. I think maybe, you know, some people are starting to look at college and maybe seeing it's not all that it's cracked up to be. I think people are getting wiser. I think 15 years ago, like, People used to be just really, really obsessed with college. Like if your son, you know, went to school and got a sociology degree, like people just thought that was like awesome. I don't know. I don't know when that stopped, but at some point, like it, it became inflated. People sort of started to realize the universities weren't all they were cracked up to be. People started realizing, um, that, you know, not every degree is, is actually worth something. Um, and so this is, this is disastrous. I mean, the Biden administration is just going to keep, you know, funneling money to the, into this beast. You know, I like, I like your thing. I mean, I like, you know, you know, your thing, you could let them default, right? That at least doesn't, not default, whatever, let them go on paying forever. At least it, 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 they, you know, they're, they're walking examples. <laughs> they're just these old people with, you know, millions, millions of dollars in debt that they could never discharge. And they're, it's like, I, I always think with the trans thing, like when the, when the gender fluid and the, you know, people experimenting get older, I think younger generation are going to see like old people who've become, you know, sort of gender fluid or change their gender and it's going to scare them off. I've always thought something like that would happen. Maybe something like that happens with student loans. Maybe it's already happening. You know, some people say that the crime rate went down because, uh, in the black community, like uh, there was a, uh, these people, a lot of people were smoking crack. A lot of people were killing each other. A lot of people saw older people doing that, said, we don't want to do that anymore. So like, you know, every generation sort of, you let them learn from their mistakes. The next generation sometimes behaves, uh, a little bit better. But your, I mean, your policy is gets rid of that, gets rid of that, lets them off the hook at the same time. At, at the very least, you're going to the source of the problem. And the source of the problem is, uh, we just have too much education and we have too many people going to college and like, this is not, this is not necessary. I don't think it even, you know, improved GDP. I mean, it's, it was good for the, uh, certain people because it, um, you know, it's a credential. It's a, it's a rat race. It's a, a zero sum game where some people has credentials. So other people, we don't get wealthier. We're wasting some of people's best years of their lives, uh, when they could actually be doing something, uh, productive. So if you could do this, I would be happy. This would require, this would require serious, Wonkery. This would like when I when I uh, make policy suggestions, um, I usually like to focus on uh, court decisions or regulatory changes, just because I think like it's really hard to do controversial legislation. But you, you would require you'd require a new tax bill for this, right? Well, there's some things that are already here, and I'm not going to bore everybody. I mean, you can read the paper if you want. There's some things that are already there. The 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act levies a small tax on endowments. Um, so and. There were a lot of lobbyists fighting very, very hard yeah, against that for obvious reasons. I, but, I, I, but, found that, yeah. I found that very, I found that very interesting in your in your piece. Do talk about what they did in 2017. Yeah, so they they opened it up. They opened it up a little bit, but it's a 1.4 percent tax, which is obviously much lighter. I would like to see some. I would like to see this tax like a hedge fund, right? Um, the, the same way that we would. 
Yeah, on endowments, which are basically yeah, hedge funds, right? Tax yeah. it on capital gains. You know, Democrats are always talking about raising the capital gains tax, right? Like, well, um, you know, ordinary Americans and their 401k are getting slammed with capital gains tax if they, if they take anything out of it, right? So why, why not, um, why not slam universities with that tax and then create a pool for which to, to do forgiveness and whatever the other half of the, the wonkery would be? Okay, like who can apply for forgiveness under what parameters, right? Um, no, but you're right that it's going to make it worse. So this kind of indiscriminate forgiveness is going to make it worse because the underlying problem is the continual upward trend of the cost of college. And that's being buttressed by increasing student loans, right? So you have this negative cycle where you know, the government makes a certain amount of money available because that's how much college costs. And then the colleges get to do that plus $5,000, right, the next year. And then the government raises the amount of loans that are available because now the average cost of college is higher. And then, you know, it, it keeps going. So the the um, New York Federal Reserve estimated that for every dollar of new student loan debt, um, that so every dollar that becomes available, 60 cents, the price is like an upward pressure, 60 cents, right? So uh, if you if you look at these those charts of, of inflation over the years of all of these different things, right? Obviously, some things have gone down. The cost of a TV has gone down, for example, right? But some of these really important markers of the middle class, healthcare payments, housing, and then way at the top of that list is college tuition. So um, inflation on college tuition has gone up something like twice as much as inflation in healthcare costs, right? So we always complain about the healthcare costs, but it's even worse in the universities. And it's, it's because of this cycle. And if we bail out the loans indiscriminately, like the Joe Biden style plan, right? Or, or what Elizabeth Warren wants, which is just a complete debt jubilee, like we wipe out all of the debt, which by the way, seven bucks of forgiveness to the top quintile for every $1 to the bottom quintile, because the people in the bottom half of the income spectrum are just not making it into college anymore because it's so expensive, right? <laughs> that even with student loans, right, um, the, the, all of the costs in terms of housing on campus, in terms of all of these other ways in which universities are making money, textbooks, um, it's just prohibitive. It's more prohibitive now, even than before we had these loans ostensibly for the poor, right? Um, the whole point of these loans was to send the bright young poor kids of America to college. And instead, what it's done is it's locked people out because, and it's made the universities very, very rich. Um, so, I mean, look, there, there are also cultural effects. Obviously, um, I think that universities are a pernicious influence on the country. I think actually now that's something that's backed by poll numbers. Most there's less than half Americans think that universities are net positive for the country. Um, there are life script effects that you were referencing, right? It's not just um, that we push more and more people into this credentialing treadmill where they come out on the other side with a lot of debt. They can't, they then can't buy houses and so on and so forth. It's also locking down a woman's prime years to have children um, in, in this sort of credentialing rat race. And now part of that is obviously cultural. Um, but you know, again, I don't see why why the taxpayer should subsidize that. <laughs> it's not clear to me. Um, and a lot of this, to go back to, to your favorite hobby horse topic, a lot of this is just to avoid, basically a college credential became the symbol that you could show up on time and probably maybe pass a drug test and like you weren't an idiot. Well, there are cheaper ways to do that, right? There's a much cheaper way of doing that. It's administer some basic kind of test or require certain hoops to be jumped through in the first part of employment. But there's such a high, it's so difficult to fire people because of a lot of this stuff. So if you make a mistake on the on the upfront end, there's hell to pay afterwards, right? Um, and then a lot of the tests that could 
be administered, right? Ironically, nobody is looking at the disparate impact of a college degree. <laughs> and there are, like the EEOC, there are people who have brought this up. The EEOC has not looked at what the disparate impact of the college degree is. And it's, it's probably just as disparate, if not more so than any test that could be administered. Um, and so it, it's just, it's, it's sort of this ridiculous thing where it's the one thing the EEOC has decided we're not going to look at. Um, and so that's what employers are using. But this, this system is costing us an enormous amount of money. It's messing up what people want to do with their lives. It's leaving them with very unpalatable choices. Um, and, Frankly, it's giving a lot of people that I culturally think are really dangerous for the country way more power than they otherwise would have because they control the pipeline so strongly um, to certain elite institutions that that they've managed to kind of quash all the alternative pipelines. It used to be that you had rich people who got rich by wildcatting oil or whatever. Right? So um, there's just no diversity anymore, genuinely no diversity in the how you get rich in America script. Maybe Silicon Valley a little bit is is sort of different from that. But even, I mean, in later iterations past, like, say, the early 2000s, even Silicon Valley is not really like that. Um, it's the, the, the gold, as ever, is in selling picks and shovels, meaning that the gold is in making $300,000 a year and doing, you know, something that's working for a larger company. Um Anyway, I, I just I think there has have been a lot of negative effects to the country of handing universities as much wealth and power and giving them this kind of monopoly over what is a, a like smart, hardworking person. Right. And I, I don't think that they deserve that at all. I don't think they've proven that they're, they're worthy of that kind of subsidization. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of these things, the, um, yeah, I don't know if it's that bad that, you know, you can't get rich in any way without a college degree or without no, a fancy degree. To be clear. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Path, I mean, I like the it. path is right. So like the path is to be Pete Buttigieg. Yeah. I, well, yeah, I think there is a sort of a narrowing of people's like horizons. There's a great homogenization. So I remember during the oil boom, I guess it's probably still going on or I don't know if it's still going on, but like in North Dakota, was it South Dakota, whichever one had the oil. Um, I remember you could go and you could make six figures. They were desperate for people, like a young man with some, I guess he had to have some strength or something, could go out there and make a hundred something thousand a year without any education. You know, a lot of people don't want to do hard labor in, uh, you know, South Dakota or North Dakota or whichever one it is, right? North Dakota. Um, you know, yeah, I think, okay, yeah. And so, yeah, th so this is... um and so, yeah, so this is, you know, like, you're right. It, we're, we're giving people the script and the script is just not good. <laughs> it's, it's not good for family formation. It's not good for, uh, you know, the economy. It's not good for the labor market. And yeah, I mean, whatever policy, you know, we end up doing on student loans, whether it's anything, you know, what, anything or nothing, um, it, it's goodness or it's badness will be judged by me to be based on, um, does it make it likely that more or fewer people are going to go to college? That's what I'm going to judge it on. Like yours would probably hurt the colleges. <laughs> Biden's would probably, you know, help them. Uh, but I think that's, I think that's, I think that's like sort of the key way to analyze it. Not even, you know, not even woke the secondary concern. I mean, the fact that they just, it's just bad. We're wasting people's prime years sitting at a desk, you know, jumping through hoops. That's just a terrible way to organize society. Yeah, well, and there's an ideological component to it now, too. So everything that you say is true and is the baseline of all of this. But now it's, in addition, it's sort of ideologically radicalized, right? Um, and we have all of these problems and all of the institutions that are these kind of like uh, cultural revolutionaries are every rank at the bottom is uh, 
more sort of um, aggressively ideological than than the one before. And so that's why a lot of CEOs, for example, it's not just the pressure from the outside groups, it's the pressure within the companies of, of a lot of these sort of professional class college educated, quote unquote, employees, right? Um, they have to satisfy some to some degree the their their sort of political views of their employees in this professional class. I just there's sort of this endless list of both ideological, cultural, and also financial consequences of forcing everybody into this. And at the end of the day, we laugh at, we think about how much progress we've made or whatever, because uh, a lot of people have grandparents who had an eighth grade education, but then you go back and you read the textbooks from eighth grade in 1900. um, And a lot of it is more substantial than what's taught in half of university classes today. So who, who really had a better education? I mean, there's there and standards are through the floor for a lot of these same um, incentives, right? Because every high school graduate comes with a check. It doesn't matter how unprepared. And of course, we're graduating more people from high school um, because the standards are dropping there as well. But we're graduating more people from high school. Now, every one of those college graduates is going to get bombarded with a bunch of offers from low tier universities because every single one of them comes with a check from the feds. And that kid ends up with a job that doesn't pay the $100,000 he took out. So he gets stuck with the loan, but the university got the $100,000 up front. They're doing great. It doesn't matter that the kid dropped out, you know, in, in his third year because he couldn't actually do mathematics. Yeah. You know, I, yeah, I mean, we've done something yet yeah, terrible culturally. You have a, a book on the engine war uh, right behind you, which I just told you I started reading and, you know, it starts with sort of a background on Chinese cultural history. And it's, it's really just amazing. The society sort of during the Ming dynasty was just built like based around tests. Like if you just took, you were the person who took the test, you got to be, uh, you got to be a government official that gave you status. Um, you know, we're sort of, we, you know, we're a much lighter version of that. Uh, but it, it's something like that. And, you know, the big dynasty, uh, they had no like expertise in anything like economics or military matters or whatever. It was just whoever like memorized the Confucian classics and they probably all had high IQs, but they just had no practical knowledge or no ability to, uh, you know, to run, to run a country well, uh, other than their intelligence. So yeah, I mean, this is, uh, and, and you know, this became a, you know, the source of sort of status of the entire society and the status of the, the society had like, you know, this is again, much lighter version of what we had, but the society had contempt for merchants, for, uh, for commerce, for the stuff that actually makes, uh, society wealthy. Um, and so, yeah, on that thought, you know, we, we are, we are in accord on higher education. Um, so before we go, what's, uh, how can people find your, uh, uh, report when it comes out? It'll be on IWF.org. Um, and then I'll probably tweet it out so you can, you can go engage with me on Twitter and make, make me uh, push me over the line for elon musk money no um no it should be on iwf.org and i'll I'll be pushing it out okay cool yeah follow it as on on twitter if you don't okay thanks it is